This is Polar Geopolitics, a podcast analyzing the global and regional implications of rapid environmental change and rising international interest in the Arctic and Antarctica. Greetings from Stockholm, Sweden. My name is Eric Paglia, and joining me here on Episode 4 of the Polar Geopolitics Podcast is Dr. John Robert Clemenson, an Associate Professor at the Royal Danish Defense College. This is the second part of the interview with Dr. Robert Clemenson, in which we discuss the complex relations that prevail within the Kingdom of Denmark, including Greenland and the Faroe Islands, and the growing influence of outside powers, particularly China, in the context of Greenlandic politics. The elections in Greenland on April 24th this year, and the new government's position on independence from Denmark, provide the point of departure for Dr. Robert Clemenson's analysis of Danish-Greenlandic relations. The Kingdom of Denmark is somewhat challenged right now. All parties but one in the Greenlandic parliament wants independence, although they, of course, disagree about the speed and the means by which they can achieve that goal. But the big thing keeping Greenland from becoming independent is, of course, its economy, right? That the uh, block grant that it gets annually from Denmark makes up somewhere between 30 and 40 percent of the Greenlandic GDP. And it's very difficult to imagine that Greenland could become independent without some sort of new revenue stream. So in that sense, the election, of course, is important, but it doesn't change the fact that Greenland because of very uh, large-scale structural reasons, simply cannot become independent in the short term. But if we then look at the new government, right, you see a return to the uh, situation from before 2016. So you have a, a, a Siumut, basically a nationalist government with two smaller nationalist parties supporting the uh, the government. And that government will face basically the same challenges as the previous government. But some of the the smaller nationalist parties will perhaps at times feel the need to strike a more confrontational course. And that can, of course, lead to uh, to new challenges and tensions with with Denmark. What does Denmark want? Does Denmark want to keep the kingdom together? Does it want to continue paying this block grant indefinitely and keep Greenland as part of the kingdom of Denmark under the current arrangement of Greenlandic self-governance? I mean, it seems to me that Denmark really enjoys being a convener, a participant in Arctic politics. Without Greenland, it's kind of hard to imagine them having that same status or having any role whatsoever, perhaps. Mm. I mean, I've, you've written some somewhere that some Danish officials see Denmark as a Arctic great power and has invested quite a bit in Arctic um, security, Arctic Coast Guard capabilities, Arctic science, done a lot of uh, investments in terms of mapping the, the continental shelf around Greenland. It seems hard to believe that Denmark would want to lose that status and, and, and the, the, the future implications of all those investments. So I assume that Denmark wants to keep it together. How does it then encourage Greenland not to continue to pursue independence? I think it's really important to have the premises down when you speak about the future of Greenland and the future of the Kingdom of Denmark. So I think if you view the world from Copenhagen, Copenhagen likes more or less likes the status quo. I mean, it gets to sit at the table in the Arctic Council and the A5. It gets to become, as, as you rightly mentioned, to have meetings with the Americans, with the Russians, the Chinese, the Japanese, etc. They like that prestige, right? And as you also mentioned, some, some Danish policymakers think of Denmark as the Arctic great power. <laughs> I would be a little bit uh, wary of, of using that rhetoric. That being said, I think there's a clear limit 
to how far Denmark will go to keep Greenland within the Kingdom of Denmark. So I think that the Danish government is willing to maintain the current subsidy level of a little bit more than 4 billion Danish kroner, which I think is something like 600 billion US dollars. But the Danish government will probably not be willing to pay more than it does right now. And if Greenland wants to become independent, I don't think that Denmark would do anything to try to stop it. I think Denmark thinks that, that it already gives a lot in the current arrangement, and Denmark has other foreign policy priorities that I think most policymakers would think were more important than Greenland. Plus, Denmark is basically a very, very liberal country, right? And it, I think most politicians would struggle to justify keeping a territory or a nation within the Kingdom of Denmark that basically wants to become independent. So I think that to put it a little bit bluntly, Greenland is not Taiwan, <laughs> and Denmark is not the Republic of China. I think that if Greenland wants to become independent, I don't think Copenhagen would do very much to stop it. And basically, the current constitutional arrangement, the so-called Self-Rule Act of 2009, more or less gives Greenland a roadmap to independence. The only stumbling block is whether Greenland can amass the resources to become independent. The resources, of course, are a big question in terms of the, the mining future of Greenland that you hear so much about. I mean, recently, yeah. Greenland seems, I think it was the new government has announced that they want to have their own seat at the UN and in NATO and even have their own Olympic team and also even starting the, the process of writing its own constitution. So it seems like things are progressing. But in other places, you've written that you don't see this happening anytime in the short or medium term. Do you still think that that's the case even after the election, that, that this is more of a longer term process of, of Greenlandic independence? Yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, in the long term, I think that a lot of things can happen, right? That Greenland can find a new great power sponsor if it wants to. It can maybe find resources that can basically finance independence. So in the long term, a lot of things can happen. And maybe Greenland will come independent one day. But if we look at the short to medium term, I mean, you mentioned a few of the priorities of the new government, right? I think that Copenhagen will have clear red lines when it comes to some of those issues. And you've already had the Danish government come out and say that they won't accept a Greenlandic constitution because only independent countries have constitutions. So if you have a constitution, they will lose the subsidies that they get every year. And in that sense, Copenhagen still kind of has the upper hand, right? They can adjust the subsidies if Greenland steps outside the boundaries that exist. But that, uh, of course, leads to uh, leads to a uh, the big issue in Danish-Greenlandic relations, which is the role of China in the Greenlandic resource industry. Because, as you correctly mentioned, there are significant mineral deposits in Greenland, and Chinese companies have offered themselves as, as investors in some of those companies. But the big fear in Copenhagen is that China doesn't just want to invest in, in resources, that China, or that Chinese companies or Chinese investments will give Beijing and outsized influence in, in Greenland, and that that could complicate or undermine Copenhagen's uh, sovereignty in Greenland and complicate Denmark's relationship with the United States. So that basically the big fear is that Chinese investments mean that Beijing can suddenly push, let's say, the, the Greenlandic government to accept a Chinese military presence in Greenland or that they can use it to pressure the Americans out of Greenland. And I think that Copenhagen would object to that. But of course, it's really difficult for Copenhagen to block 
China's Chinese investments in uh, in Greenland because resource policy falls within the purview of the Greenlandic government and not the Danish government, whereas the Danish government has control of security and foreign policy. And where do you draw that line? How many investments are enough for something to be a security issue? So that's the big conundrum right now. I don't have the the answer to that to that question. If I if I did, I would probably have a much fancier job and be a lot richer than I am. That was my question. I was hoping you would have the answer. Where, where do you draw that line? What is the tipping point when influence Chinese influence is considered too much, too much of a risk in, in terms of influencing Greenlandic uh, politics and, and perhaps even in the, the domain of uh, security and, and uh, military? But I guess it is that is a hard, hard call to make. But you say that these discussions are actively taking place in the Danish government right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, I mean, just this morning, the uh, the Danish PM came out and told Greenland that they should be wary of accepting or allowing Chinese companies to uh, invest in Greenlandic airports because that would be that would give China an undue or a unreasonably large influence in uh, in Greenland. So far, the reason why this whole issue hasn't hasn't erupted is that. Is due to a, a, a combination of different factors. The uh, low world prices on raw materials means that a lot of Chinese companies haven't been able to to successfully establish mines. But of course, as you know, world prices can go up, and that would reopen that whole issue. And secondly, the the Danish government has been able to go out and block some of those other potential Chinese investments. For instance, I think it was last year, a former military base was up for sale and a Chinese company tried to buy it, at which point the Danish government went in and changed its mind and kept the base. <laughs> so, so in that sense, a combination of proactive Danish policies and large, larger circumstances have kept that issue mute thus far. But hey, things can change. And I'm sure that that this will be something that Copenhagen will have to wrestle with for decades, actually. Last year, I wrote a study with a, a colleague of mine, Anna Henriksen, from the University of Copenhagen, uh, where we, we looked at the American interests in, in Greenland. As part of that process, we interviewed a lot of uh, American policymakers. And basically, what we were told was that the U.S., I mean, Greenland is not a big issue in policy circles in Washington. But the moment that China has already established a big presence in Greenland, you can be sure that phone will ring over in the Danish Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And on the other end of the line will be the State Department or the Pentagon. And they will ask how on earth that happened. So in that sense, the Danish government has to be really proactive about all of this. It has to make sure that China doesn't get that outsized influence. Because the moment that the Chinese are there, so to speak, they will, will most definitely get the blame and they will have to deal with the, with the complications that would follow from that vis-a-vis the uh, American presence in Greenland. So it's all very complicated and I think that the Danish government will really, really struggle to maintain uh, its position in, uh, in Greenland in coming decades. I guess one of the Danish government's concerns is alienating Greenland. If they're too assertive in blocking Chinese investments or other investments, that the Greenland will say, well, if you're going to stop us from, from developing our own resources to give us our, our own uh, economic base, then, then we'll, we're just going to go ahead and declare independence. Is that, is that one of the things that holds Denmark back from being more assertive in terms of blocking or trying to thwart different um, Chinese investments there? 
Yeah, well, yeah, I guess, I mean, yeah, alienating the Greenlandic government is, would be one thing. Another thing would be that it wouldn't be legal. That, that, I mean, there's a, the, the Self-Rule Act of 2009 provides a, a legal framework for the division of labor between Greenland and Denmark. And you could argue or you could imagine a legal contestation of Denmark's right to, to block these issues in courts. So in that sense, yeah, it's all, all very complicated. <laughs> Are Greenlandic authorities... Um do they also see the risks in, in, in opening themselves up too much to uh, Chinese investments, or do they just see it as purely a good thing? Well, I think as part of the study that I, I mentioned before, we also interviewed a lot of Greenlandic policymakers. And uh, my impression is that some Greenlandic policymakers are aware of the challenges that follow from a Greenlandic presence. My impression is also that many Greenlandic policymakers, not all, of course, but many, has a very short-term view of all of this, that they think about the, the here and now, they think about how you can use the, the current situation to get as much uh, autonomy and as many investments as possible. I also think that at least some of them use China's interest in Greenland to put pressure on Denmark and on the United States to hike up their investments in Greenland and uh, I'm not always sure that Greenlandic policymakers think about what the consequences would be of a large Chinese presence in Greenland. So let me give you an example. I mean, the new government, as part of its coalition agreement, wrote that a future independent Greenland should be a member of NATO. And I think that's great. I think it's great that they think that far, because it gives a strategic direction for Greenland. But of course, if you want Greenland to become a member of NATO, there will be a limit on how many Chinese investments you can have. Because otherwise, it would be foolish of NATO to to include a Greenland that was wholly under the sway of Beijing. So in that sense, I'm not always sure that Greenlandic policymakers think that far, or at least not all of them. And there lies the big danger, that they become maybe a little bit too absorbed in the need for investments here and now, and a little bit too absorbed in the wrestling match with Copenhagen and therefore lose sight of what Greenland will look like in 2030, 2040, 2050. Uh, you mentioned in uh, one of your articles uh, something that you call the Greenland card that the Danish government yeah. has used in the past as a way to gain influence vis-a-vis -vis the United States. Can you perhaps uh, describe uh, what you mean by that and how that uh, how that uh, works today is that something that uh, is still a current tool or is it something that's been outdated now with the changing geopolitical circumstances yeah oh, that, that's a great question i mean uh, it was all part of that study i did with uh, with my colleague Anna Henriksen at the uh, university of copenhagen so the green and green and card describes a uh, a situation that was very prominent during the cold war where it's a long story but basically Denmark's most important bargaining chip in NATO and vis-a-vis -vis the United States was the U.S.'s strong interest in Greenland. So basically, the Danes allowed the Americans more or less free hands to do whatever they wanted in Greenland. And in return, the Americans basically accepted that Denmark made a very meager contribution to NATO in other domains, such as military spending and uh, diplomatic pressure on the Soviet Union, stuff like that. And we, as part of this study, we <laughs> we interviewed a really high-level person who was involved in Danish foreign policy during the Cold War, who uh, who literally told us that whenever they met with the Americans, they were shameless 
in using Greenland as a uh, a bargaining chip vis-a-vis the Americans. So what we what we did was we uh, we were interested in in understanding. So does Denmark still have a Greenland card today? Can Greenland still be a bargaining chip for Denmark in Washington D.C.? And our result was that Denmark can't get big security policy concessions as they did during the Cold War, because today the United States doesn't view its northern flank as problematic as they did during the the Cold War. And as long as the relationship with Russia is one where the U.S. clearly has the upper hand, U.S. security interests in Greenland will be relatively few. However, there are other domains where Denmark then can use Greenland to get advantages. And we, we talked about it a bit earlier, right, that as long as Greenland is part of the Kingdom of Denmark, then the Danish foreign minister gets to meet his American counterpart in, in the Arctic Council. Denmark can use Greenland to promote some of its Arctic priorities, some of its climate priorities as well. And Denmark can also use Greenland to in, enhance Coast Guard cooperation with the United States. So, so Denmark still has a Greenland card to play, but the Greenland card is different today compared to what it was during the Cold War. That's interesting. I'm sure that Greenland eventually, or maybe even already, will want to be able to play its own card and not have Denmark using Greenland as a card, but having Greenland using its own position uh, as, a, as a means of influence. And you mentioned actually they already are. Yeah, yeah, that. of course. If I can just <laughs> butt in. I mean, I think it's important if you when, when you look at the Kingdom of Denmark to understand that all parties need to get something out of this. So Greenland, Greenland gets very, very large economic subsidies, without which there wouldn't be such a thing as a Greenlandic welfare state. But Denmark also needs to get something out of it. And Denmark gets that diplomatic influence. So in that sense, it's a win-win situation. And I think that was the key message in our, in our report. It was to say that everyone gets something out of this. And the moment that someone doesn't get anything out of this anymore, then the whole system breaks down. And we need to be able to talk about that everyone gets something out of it in order for the system to work. That's one of my big fears about the current situation within the Kingdom of Denmark, that we get we get lost in these taboos, in, in the fear that we can't say that Denmark gets something out of Greenland, and therefore we lose perspective of what's actually in the current relationship. Oh, sorry, I totally interrupted you. No, you did not. And uh, by all means, I mean, you're the expert and uh, I, I appreciate your your thorough answers and your enthusiasm <laughs> in answering these questions. Really fantastic. And I really appreciate that. Uh, one part of the, the Kingdom of Denmark that we haven't really discussed at this point, and perhaps um, we should maybe invite you back as a guest on a future episode. We can devote an entire episode to discuss Danish relations uh, with the, the Faroe Islands, which just recently hosted the the Arctic Circle Assembly. Could you say a few words about mm. the role of the Faroe Islands vis-a-vis Denmark and the Arctic? Yeah, the Faroe Islands, of course, is, is very different from Greenland, both in terms of the appetite for independence and the economic situation that they uh, face. I mean, the Faroe Islands economy is significantly better than the Greenlandic economy, and therefore they also get a lot fewer subsidies from Copenhagen. But at the same time, the appetite for independence in, in the Faroe Islands is a lot smaller. Faroe Islands had a big economic crisis in the 1990s where the Danish government basically bailed them out. And I think that had illustrated for a lot of Faroese people that the dangers of full independence and therefore the independence movement in in the Faroe Islands is a lot less prominent. That was Dr. John Robert Clemenson in the second part of the interview with the Polar Geopolitics podcast. You can follow this podcast on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, on Facebook at facebook.com slash polar geopolitics, 
and on Twitter at PolarGeopol. Visit the website at PolarGeopolitics.com. Additional voiceover by Keith Foster. Theme music by Mark Vandenbosch. Artwork by Daniel Brockman. IT assistance by Katrine Erickson. This is Eric Paglia in Stockholm. Thanks for listening. And stay tuned for more episodes of Polar Geopolitics.